It's me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. How are you? And nothing's pre-recorded here today. You've got it live. You have a live show and you have me, which means that you can call in, okay? And the number is 952-946-6205. You can talk with me. We've got a fantastic, trust me, a fantastic guest. Oh, oh, I can't wait. And um, and I've got some other things for you. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with uh, transgender humans in America, particularly, and you're going to love uh, this clip of a young girl uh, speaking to a school district school board out in Utah. I'm going to talk with you, of course, about what's happening in Gaza right now. And, um, yeah, we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, the pushback that law firms are getting uh, around diversity, equity, inclusion. I'm certainly going to make sure I throw something in about what happened in Australia with their vote uh, yesterday about whether to give um, indigenous people in Australia – uh, a mention in this in the country's constitution, and then I'll talk uh, with whatever time we have left about my work. But I am thrilled because we've got the big interview here right now um, with Robert Shetterly. Now you may recall uh, several shows ago I talked about Robert Shetterly's project, Americans Who Tell the Truth, and then after I did that show, I reached out to to Rob Shetterly. And he's such a class act that he emailed me back like within an hour and said that he would love to be on my show. Rob Shetterly, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. Hi, Ellie. Nice to meet you. I'm very excited to talk with you today. I'm thrilled to have you here, Rob. Now, let me just give the audience a little bit. I'm going to grab this off of the, the website, okay? But here we go. Rob Shetterly was born in 1946 in Cincinnati. He's a 1969 graduate of Harvard College with a degree in English. Um, but at Harvard, uh, Rob Shetterly took um, a, a drawing class and it changed his life. Eventually, after college, after getting involved with the anti-war movement, he moved to Maine um, where he taught drawing and taught himself how to draw and do printmaking. Then he went on to be the 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 um, illustrator for the Maine Times newspaper for a dozen years and then illustrated National Audubon's children's newspaper, Audubon Adventures. You're also the author of a number of books and, and, and illustrations. And Rob, but, but I have you here to talk about Americans who tell the truth, okay? And my audience has some idea because I did talk about the project um, some time ago. But will you tell us in your words – what what is Americans Who Tell the Truth? And give us the background on how it came about. Okay, and you're and you're talking to us from Maine, right? Right, Brooksville, Maine. Yep, yep. Little, little I, town on the Blue Hill Peninsula. Yeah, I'm so missing New England, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Ellie. Um, Americans Who Tell the Truth was not something I wanted to do, uh, and it has continued to evolve and it keeps changing its meaning as it moves along and grows and becomes an educational project. But it began uh, shortly after 9-11, not because of 9-11, but because of the Bush administration's propaganda and lying to the American people about the necessity of attacking attacking the country of Iraq. I was uh, so enraged and grief struck by that being allowed to go forward you know, not just because the gov- our own government was lying to us, but 
because our media didn't tell the truth about uh, what was going on and why it was going on. And I just kept thinking that, you know, what can I do about this as myself? I mean, I knew I wasn't going to change the policy, but I was, I had to take a stand as a person, as a, as a citizen of this country in regard to what was happening so that I could continue to live here in good conscience. And um, at first I, th- I just couldn't figure out what to do because I was guided by my prominent emotions, which were rage and grief and all the energy of that. And I realized that it, I needed to take that energy and turn it to doing something positive rather than just rant all the time about Dick Cheney, et cetera. So what I did was, uh, in a way, actually to, to heal myself, was start a therapy project by painting portraits of people who made me feel good about this country rather than rant anymore about the ones who did just the opposite. And that began with a, a portrait of Walt Whitman. I had never painted a portrait in my life, by the way, a realistic portrait. Really? Um, so I, I painted Walt Whitman, and then I painted Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth, Jane Addams, Mother Jones, you know, all these 19th century figures uh, who were embarked on trying to make this country live up to its own ideas, yep. basically, and uh, close that gap between what we say as a country and what we actually do. And so that's – and my goal was to, to paint 50 portraits, which I never thought I'd actually do. Now there are over 270 of them. At first, I thought they would end up in my basement, and I'd visit them occasionally for counsel <laughs> um, and comfort. Uh, instead, they now travel all over the country to museums, colleges, libraries, churches, etc. And I trundle after them to talk about who these people are and why they're important and why they're in our educational work. We refer to them as models of courageous citizenship. The point is to to present them as models to particularly young people, but all people about what it means to be a good citizen of this country and what you can do. We don't I, I don't paint fig- people that I want pedestalized, you know, that these are heroes that we either can cannot possibly emulate or that we would look to to save us. You know, these are real people, real flawed people who uh, at one time or another did often, you know, things of great persistence, sometimes just one thing that have uh, attempted to change our lives to make us be more honest. And that these are the people that we can model our own lives on because we are like them. We are flawed, conscientious people who can make courageous decisions to do the right thing. And that's what this project has become. It's full of people, some of whom are icons that we all know, like the people I just mentioned. And a lot of them are, are largely unknown people to most of us. I mean, they're people who are in communities all over this country. I mean, the, the, you know, as we all know, the, there's amazingly there's amazing wealth of great people in this country. Uh, who are doing great work for all of us around race, climate, you know, gender, uh, environment, you name it, workers. It's, it's, they're just great folks. And, and what they don't see, what, what we don't get is, uh, you know, them presented in our media about who these people are and why they have to do the work they do. Well, Rob, so, um, first of all, I'm just so grateful for you. Okay. And I'm grateful that you, you know, you, you, you didn't just stop with, you know, some para, some, some uh, portraits in, in your basement and that, you know, 
something happened to cause you to say, well, we can do, I can do bigger things, uh, you know, with this. Now, do, you know, with the, the 270 portraits that you've done so far, uh, are, so do you, have, do you have multiple installations going around the country with, you know, 30 or 40 at a time at one place and another 30 or 40 somewhere else? Absolutely. Uh, we have, these days, at almost any one time, there are uh, probably five or six shows going on. Not always 30 and 40, but uh, somewhere between 10 and 20. Okay. And, and that's a usual show. I mean, this is, the American Intelligence Project is a nonprofit, and we survive and pay our, we have a small staff who does the educational work and the operation work. And uh, we couldn't do that without some income. And sure. a lot of the, the income comes from, besides generous donors and our own selling of our own merchandise, prints and things like that, is a, the rental fee that, that colleges and churches and wherever museums pay to us to have the portraits for four to six or eight weeks. And that's what keeps us going. And um, so that's been, uh, uh, you know, and when these shows are going, and that's why, uh, we don't often have, you know, huge shows. Although recently we had a, a show of 50 portraits at the Deland Museum in Florida. And uh, the only place in the country that showed the entire collection was Syracuse University a few years ago when the collection was at 238 portraits. They showed them all. And they in- invited in to talk to their students, many of the people I painted. Really? Uh, it was an extraordinary event. We try to do that wherever the show is. Because the the their portraits try to be so inclusive of people from all over the country, from every background, that almost wherever we are, there are people not far away whom I painted and can be invited to the venue to dis, you know to be on panels to discuss with students right. and adults about who they are, why I painted them, what this means, etc. Okay, so so if a school district, for example, <laughs> I happen to be on a school board, you know, mm-hmm. if a school district wanted to to reach out it's just go to the website or now since i know you i could reach out uh, directly you know and 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 i i love that idea because you're bringing it to a granular level for just ordinary humans to hear about other ordinary humans to a certain degree doing extraordinary things and i think that that's so incredibly important tell me since you are going around the country and rob um what I may have shared with you or which you may have figured out about me is, you know, I go across the country speaking about diversity, equity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And um, and I have noticed with distinctly within the last year, particularly since the start of this year, how, you know, walls have been put up. OK, you know, resistance to my work. Um, I was supposed to I, – the audience heard this last week or the week before that I was supposed to go to uh, speak to a hospital in northern Minnesota um, and and train all of their team members for a whole day and they canceled on me um, just with a few days notice simply because – in part because they were getting pushback about you know stuff being shoved down their throats. So are, have you – you know, you've been you've been doing this work for a number of years. Okay, I mean, this goes back to the start in you know the Iraq War. Um, have you noticed a shift in the country about the willingness to have your installation, have your um, portraits 
in place. And I'll give you, ask you another question. Have you noticed a difference between what would be considered a blue state, you know, and a red state about how willing they are to have your, your work there? Uh, yes, I have. And that's a, that's really important what you're talking about, because I think that the, what you're up against and what I am up against also to some degree is just the fear of, of people, the fear. And it's not just a fear of what other people are going to say or how they're going to be judged or whether they're going to get their, uh, you know, get, get their grants or payments or whatever it is because of the stand they're taking. It, it's the fear of identity. It's the fear of knowing who we really are as a people. And, and if we don't know who we are as a people, you know, we can do all kinds of horrendous things. And, uh, and we do. And because we don't know who we are and what we're capable of and why we're doing those things and how we're being manipulated and engineered by people to do those things. Um, but strangely, for the most part, I haven't got anywhere near as much pushback as I would have expected. I mean, I don't take, uh, I don't make any shortcuts. I don't, uh, pull any punches about what I think the real issues are or right. when somebody's lying or any of that kind of stuff. The, the, probably the most remarkable thing like that was, and I do go to some red states. I mean, I don't choose to where I go. People come to me sure. and invite me. Yep. But I was invited to talk at a uh, evangelical college in East Tennessee, which is one of the reddest places that you can imagine. And uh, at the end of my the last day there, I, I, was, I was invited to speak to the entire college in their their enormous, you know, church there um, at the at the I mean his place was packed and I tell the same story I would tell if I were talking in um, Boston you know about who these people are why I painted them the truth they're telling about this country and and what it means about the identity of all of us and um, the reaction was um, hostile and really I would yeah yeah so oh. I, I could tell just, you know, just talking the, the vibe, you really? know, what, what, what this audience was feeling about me. And, uh, and, but I just, you know, I, I, uh, trudged on, right. Said what I wanted to say and used the same kind of examples of the, the that I used to tell the stories I want to tell. And, uh, but when I was being driven to Nashville to get a flight home, I, the professor who had invited me there was driving and I finally said to him, why did you invite me here? You know, what were you hoping to accomplish? I mean, I mean, you, you saw what happened in that, that talk. And he said, well, we needed you here because you can say things we are afraid to. Hmm. We can't. And so that's actually one of the exciting things about this is, you know, I, hmm. you know, after painting all these people, it would be uh, totally inconsistent for me to not say what I think the truth is about, a whole host of issues, uh, and then back it up with the stories I, of the people I painted. I mean, if I were to, to, you know, to hesitate about doing that, I would have been, I would be betraying the people whose yeah. portraits I painted. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have to say these things. And, uh, and so, and, and, and as, like I said, you know, many people in positions where they're worried about their jobs or worried about their social conditions or, what their neighbors think or something, um, you know, are afraid to say these things. And so I can be used that way. And I accept that. I, I actually relish it. Sure. Uh, so, 
Yeah, that's where I am. Well, you know, I mean, we're not all that different, okay, because I'm often the very first transgender person many people have ever met when mm. they're in the room with me. And um, and I think, you know, my mess. I think you and I have similar message. I mean, my message is about compassion for all humans, you know, and my audience has heard this like a million times. That, you know, I believe that 98% of all people have good hearts. I do. I mean, 2% are incredibly challenged, you know, as was the starting point, I think, for your – for you starting the portrait um, series. And – but but I believe I, – I do. I believe that 98 percent. But I think that we're all just afraid. And, yes. you know, and the fear overtakes us. It really does. I, go ahead. Go ahead. I, well, I, I, I mean, that's absolutely right. I think 98 percent of people probably – and I wouldn't dispute that whether it's 97 or 98 or anything like that. Uh, people do have good hearts. Probably 75% of those people can be manipulated right. by fear, by racism, by fundamentalism, uh, by, by uh, jingoism, you know, by all the things that, that uh, people in power use to get people to do uh, things that are against their own interests. And, well, and that, that's what governments do. That's what people in power do. Uh, and uh, well, first, let me just also say, I, I didn't, I didn't know who you were really. You just, just told me, and I'm, <laughs> I'm very impressed with, with who you are and how outspoken you are. And you know, the thing about compassion is that, you know, William Sloan Coffin said, "Without courage, there are no other virtues." You know, and compassion is one of those virtues. Oh yes, honesty is a virtue. Kindness is a virtue. Loyalty is a virtue. All these things that we say we believe in as virtues, uh, the simplest things, uh, don't happen unless people have the courage uh, to demand them and to express them themselves. And so the, the work you're doing, you know, to insist on that, taking that compassion and making it public uh, and talking about it in public and what it actually means in public for the lives of so many people is, is the work that has to be done. It absolutely has to be done. And, and so, so Rob, I mean, you are, um, you are about 10 years older than me, okay? And what I appreciated from reading in your website, you know, and your artist statement, which, by the way, when I had the show talking about um, Americans Who Tell the Truth, I read several paragraphs from your artist statement. You know, but you and I think we, we both have also in common that the candle, you know, the candle's burning shorter for us. And there's so much we need to do, right? I mean, there's just so much that we need to do. Right. Tell me. That that's a, 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 a personal we and a, a royal we, I assume, too. I mean, yeah. it's all of us, yes. And some of us, uh, you know, we will, you know, burn ourselves out doing this work because it's a thing we believe in. But we will also encourage as many people as others, you know, as we possibly can to continue because, you know, survival on this planet, not just for us, but for all the other species of the planet, you know, depends on this work. I mean, uh, there are... Absolutely. It, it's, it's Nothing could be clearer, unfortunately, at this time that, uh, you know, people and corporations and militaries that have exceptional power will actually use it to destroy life on this planet, including themselves. And they're just, it, it's just amazing the, this blind rush to the edge. 
um, just for the sake of some profit and control. It's 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 curious. What what do you see as what do you see as the saving grace? I mean, or do you see one? I mean, that you. Ha- I mean, I'm going to go out on a ledge and assume you see some saving grace because you're doing all of this work to inspire us. Well. Yeah, the saving grace is is the same thing it's probably always been in a um, a democratic society and maybe any society, and that is education um, of one kind or another. I mean, we, um, you know, there's a that amazing statement in the Declaration of Independence that a government derives its just power from the consent of the governed. You know, if a population is not educated mm-hmm. about what the government is actually doing and in whose interest and for whose profit. Uh, they derive their unjust power from the consent of the government. As I said before, people can be manipulated so easily, yep. you know, to uh, offer a government unjust power. And of course, they do terrible things with it. You know, witness what's going on in the world right now. Yep. Um, so, but that hope that a well-educated populace can uh, make sure that the power that they give, the consent that they give to a government uh, ends in just power is the, is the, is the only way I know uh, of counteracting the forces that are in the world today. And, you know, what's so sad is that we see these, you know, so many school systems like you're talking about, you know, are doing just the opposite fearfully going the other way saying, Oh my God, we don't want to, you know, ruffle the feathers of our, uh, (coughs) excuse me, uh, of our politicians, our governors, our right wing governors, or our, you know, nasty people who are running things. And because they're, they might, you know, fire us or do something, whatever it is. Or the parents will get uncomfortable. The children are going to feel uncomfortable. I mean, I mean, it's it's a cry telling the truth. uh, If it requires, discomfort is something you shouldn't do. Yeah, no, that's... What can you say about that? So, Rob, I've got a minute left, okay? And here's the last question for... And by the way, I just love talking with you, and I think I could talk with you for like two hours. Um, We're just getting started. (laughs) You know, um, here's the last question. What... What made you so idealistic? I, I mean, I'm assuming you consider yourself an idealist. I... Define that as someone working to try and change the world for the better. What? what? Absolutely, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I, I have a hard time answering that, but I want fully. But I would like to say that I was at a college one time in Davenport, Iowa, a Catholic college, where the president was a a nun or a former nun, mm-hmm. and she asked me to have lunch with her, and she said to me. You know the difference between us? And I said, no, besides the obvious thing. You know. <laughs> uh, she says, I'm a pragmatist. This is a nun speaking. I'm a pragmatist and you're an idealist. I thought, whoa, whoa how interesting. <laughs> uh, I hadn't thought of myself exactly that terms. But one of the things, I mean, she has, you know, all this, she has a college to run and all these compromises to make and things to do. And I thought, you know, I don't, I don't have to do that exactly. But, you know, other than, Rather than think about idealism as being something maybe a little bit naive or somebody who believes too much uh, that the world can be fixed and be made into closer to its own super values, I don't think that's it. I think the thing about being an idealist is that you see uh, the totality of an issue. The idealist understands 
that we can't just fix symptoms, no. that we have to go to the real problem. Uh, we have to go to causes. And it has to be totally changed in, into the shape of what we actually believe as the ideals and values are of the systems we believe in. And I, to me, that's what an idealist is. It's the opposite of what a lot of people think of it as being. Uh, instead of being, and maybe in the long run, it is, is the best kind of pragmatist too, because it goes to causes rather than treating symptoms. Um, and insisting on that, insisting on it. I mean, that's the thing we've got to do as idealists, is insist on the real thing. I and mean, if you paint Frederick Douglass, are you painting a pragmatist or an idealist? You know, if you painted Harriet Tubman, is that a, an idealist or a pragmatist? You know, if you paint, I mean, anybody, you know, Jane Addams, if you paint Martin Luther King, yep. you know, these are idealists. And they're the ones who actually changed things systemically. They sure did, didn't they? Well, yeah. well, Rob, I'm sorry that our time has come to an end, okay? But will you know, please, that I am just so honored to have had you on my show and um, I will communicate with you after this, okay? Because I would love to, ha- I, I would love to have you come to Minnesota. Okay? Oh, that'd be wonderful. I would yeah. love to have you come. Thank you. Well, I, I'm, you know, my work doesn't mean anything without your work. I mean, the, we need each other, and yeah. uh, I really appreciate that you invited me on. And I hope people will go to the Americans to Tell the Truth website and take a look at the portraits and read the biographies and look at the educational work we do. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on LE 2.0 Radio. Listeners, we've been speaking with Rob Shetterly, who is the architect of Americans Who Tell the Truth. Go to their website. All you have to do is Google Americans Who Tell the Truth, and you'll be able to find the website. Um, and if you can, write a check because uh, it's a nonprofit, and they're doing incredibly wonderful work. All right. When we come back, I'm going to start talking about a bunch of other things. And um, we'll be back in a second. You're listening to me on Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio. I hope I like what you hear. And if you do, go visit my website at elliekrug.com. We'll be back in a sec. Radio. Hey, uh, I meant what I said about Rob Shetterly. I did. I mean, I I could have talked to Rob Shetterly. I I don't even. I I could have talked to him for eight hours, let alone two hours. Go check out Americans Who Tell the Truth. Their website. All you have to do is Google that. It is a fascinating website, a fascinating concept, and I am going to try and get Rob Shetterly to Minnesota. Trust me, I I will do that. I'm going to try. Okay. All right. Well, and what Rob talked about was was about talking truth, you know, to power, about giving the truth, about facing up what power does to humans, preying on our fears. And so in a second here, I'm going to play you a clip of, uh, I think, a seven-year-old um, who spoke truth to power. So you may recall several shows back, um, I interviewed Erin Reed, who's a transgender woman based out of um, – Montana, I believe, uh, who has this column, Aaron in the Morning. It's a blog. Uh, it's about what's going on in America as it relates to transgender people. It's a it's highly professional. I get much of my information about the trans community from her, from Aaron Reed. 
R and it's E R I N Reed R E E D, and she had this clip uh, last week um, from the Jordan School District, which is a huge school district outside of uh, Salt Lake City. It has fifty seven thousand students. I mean that is ginormous with thirty three hundred teachers, and that school district um, has uh, you know decided uh, that. You know, transgender kids um, can't use the public, you know, the restroom that aligns with their gender identity. And, you know, and the state as a whole has passed laws prohibiting trans kids from utilizing restrooms according to their gender identity, prohibiting trans kids from playing sports. Yep. From kindergarten all the way through college senior year. And has um, uh, Utah also passed a law prohibiting gender-affirming care for trans youth. So there was a school board meeting, and uh, Allison's father first spoke because he wanted to introduce Allison, and then and then Allison spoke. And I want you to listen to this, okay? Because if there's any, any listeners here, or if you have somebody in your life who doesn't believe being transgender is real, um, just listen to this, okay? All right, Patrick, could you go ahead and play it, please? Hi, I'm Allison, and I wrote this in my free time. Hello, fathers, daughters, mothers, and everybody else who came here today with fear, anger, and confusion. Free feelings that hurt inside badly. I came here not to fight, but to make peace. How am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to tell a story. An autobiography, if you may. Well, as far back as I can remember, I always chose dresses, makeup, makeup, wigs, and dolls. My first Halloween costume that I chose to do was a zombie vampire bride. So weird, right? Who thinks of that? Well, I did. I remember the first dress I wore was a pretty white gown. When I wore it, it felt special. Not like anything else. It was the best feeling. It felt like magic. When my loving mom first curled my hair and I looked in the mirror, I wanted to cry because I saw not the person I was supposed to be, but the person I am. Because when I imagine myself as a grown human, I see a woman dancing in a white dress through a meadow of flowers. And when I see that, I know that's who I am. And I I just want the space and acceptance to be me. Thank you. Okay, so. Wow. Wow. That's. That's really the essence of what it means to be transgender. And think of the guts it took Allison to stand in front of a, a school board with adults, you know, and the setting was, you know, it's a bunch of. I think all white people that were on the di- dais, you know, and there she was. Her father was holding, you know, behind her as she was speaking. But wow. And that's what's going on in America right now. Transgender kids and youth are real. And states and organizations and p- people in power, as we heard from Rob, are trying to erase them trying to keep them from being in sports, being at medical clinics, being at schools, 
where they should be, doing and living is the way they're supposed to. And I, I just, I, I, I don't think that you could listen to that clip and not be touched by the fact that Allison is real. And if she's real, we need to protect her. Okay. All right. So there's that. All right. Let me move on. <laughs> because I, I, I cannot, I, I got to make sure that I get in this show, Gaza. And, um, you know, and, and the horror, I mean, that's not, there's not even a word that is strong enough to capture what happened a week ago today uh, at the kibbutzes outside of Gaza. The, 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 the slaughtering of, of humans that just, you know, the last count I had was 1,300 Israelis murdered. And so that's one horror. The other horror, of course, is what is happening to the innocent Palestinian people in Gaza right now where Hamas, a terrorist organization, is hiding and using civilians, using people, using doctors, using babies, using children um, as shields, um, as an excuse uh, for them not to – for Hamas to escape the price of its – terrorism horror on both all sides i have a i have a good dear friend her name is michelle cohen she lives in new jersey she and i i met her maybe a decade ago at this point uh, through my work um she works in the legal uh, field she's a legal administrator she is a manager for a small law firm and and she's jewish and if you get my, you know, if you get my ripple, my newsletter, you know that from time to time, Michelle sends me various things. God love Michelle. She, she, she will. She, she's old fashioned. She will cut clippings out of the New York Times because she realized I don't get the New York Times in paper form out here, um, and she will mail the, the clippings to me with little notes on stickies. In case you didn't see this, you know. And I talk with her with some frequency about what's going on with Jews in America right now as well as Jews in the world. And, I, and for those of you who attend church, you know, who, are, who go and, and, and congregate on Sundays or whatever your day of worship is, you know, it's different for Jews in America right now, okay? Because I'm going to guess there are there are no churches in the western burbs of of Minneapolis that have ever received a bomb threat i'm going to guess that there are no churches in the western burbs that have ever had graffiti or or molotov cocktails directed at their churches on their property and yet that is what's happening as Michelle reports to me, she sent me a, a, a something that the Anti-Defamation League puts out. They put out warnings. You know, I mean, synagogue congregations get training on how to deal with active shooters and what to do if they're hostages. Now, I'm going to guess that most churches in the Western burbs here have never even envisioned the need to do that. And, as, and, and Michelle is – I mean I talked with her yesterday. She is just 
horribly. I, I, she, her children are afraid. Her, 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 her larger family is afraid with good reason. And she told me yesterday that rather than their one, you know, guard that they have at the synagogue, the synagogue is now guarded by multiple people with guns to protect people from attacking the institution and, and God forbid, when people are there worshiping. That is the America that we have right now. The anti-Semitism that exists, it's always there. It's always under the water waiting. Now, Palestinian people are humans too. And they have paid an enormous price in a variety of ways. And and I'm just here to tell you, we're here. What's going on right now in Gaza is because people are afraid and unwilling to do the hard work of talking to each other. That's that's the product of what we're seeing right now. The fear to talk, the fear to make decisions, the fear to be brave. And yet we've seen bravery. I mean, Egypt is now, you know, at peace with Israel because, you know, Menachem Begum was willing to be brave. Okay. All right. I need to take a break. When we come back, I've got some other things to talk with you about. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, idealist, proud idealist, proud person willing to try and make this world better. I hope you like it. If you like, follow me on Twitter, which, to the extent I'm still there, at Ellie Krug. We'll be back in a second. Thank you. AM 950. Ellie 2.0 Radio. Okay. All right. I've got uh, not even five minutes to get some other things in. Okay. So uh, remember, uh, I, I I could reference Rob Shetterly, I think, for <laughs> 10 shows after this. But remember, he talked about people in power, how they prey on people's fears. Well, we just saw that happen yesterday in Australia where um, – Australia's Indigenous Voice referendum failed. Now, in Australia, Indigenous people have inhabited Australia for 60,000 years, okay? They make up 4% of the population, and it's the country of about 20 million people. Okay, they make up 4% of the population. And and there was a referendum to, to include reference to Indigenous people um, in Australia's constitution, and then the the idea would, was that that they would use that as a stepping stone to further support indigenous people. I mean, this is about seeing people. This is about giving them, okay, giving them recognition. But there was a fear campaign, okay, you know that that was directed and preyed on the fears of people. Which the fear campaign was a. What you know? They reversed everything and said, "Well, this is causing division. This is going to cause us to have division in our country rather than unification." And the, the the referendum failed. 
I, I, I'm appalled. I am. I'm appalled. I'm appalled. <laughs> I, all right. So I needed to mention that at least. And then um, in, a, in a story uh, that came out on the 12th, October 12th, by Nate Raymond of Reuters, um, a story about the American Alliance for um, Equal Rights. Now, this is – this is a new group. This, you know, we had the affirmative action decision that occurred that the Supreme Court handed down uh, this summer, essentially holding that colleges and universities, you can't, you know, you can't uh, like take account somebody's race or ethnicity into account in trying to figure out whether to admit them or not to help boost the ranks of students from historically marginalized communities who historically have not been able to go to college at the same rate, the same percentages as white kids because of the way the country is, is historically organized around skin color and biased against anybody who's not white. Okay, well, at any rate, that's what the Supreme Court ruled. You can't do, you can't do any special treatment. You can't try and lift up based on skin color. Well, now this American Alliance for Equal Rights is a springboard out of that. It's organized with an attorney named Edward Blum. And what they are doing is they are targeting the legal profession. And what the legal profession is trying to do – now, you, again, you may have heard me say this before. I mean for 200 years in America, the only people that could be lawyers were men, Christian white men. That was it. That was all that could – the only people – and so we built this legal profession in this country on that kind of racism and misogyny and all, however you want to describe it. And the legal profession, which historically is fear and risk adverse, trust me, has been trying to change the dynamics. And one of the ways they do that is that law firms have been offering what are called fellowships. You know, bring on minority fellowships, students from historically marginalized communities, black, Latino, um, American Indian, Native American, you know, whatever, you know, people from with disabilities, okay? Bring them in, give them a let, you know, give them an opportunity to get in the door. At least, if, you know, the fellowship would be actually, it's not even a job. It's just to come in and work for like an internship for a number of months. Then maybe go back to school or whatever, but you're getting a they're they're getting a sense of how a law firm works. The law firm is getting a sense of them, you know, and maybe they're they'll matriculate into a job. Well, this organization, as reported by Nate Raymond, just this I mean, they've been going after law firms, but just this week they went after three of the major law firms in the country, one of which I've trained. Um, one of which I've trained. And you know what? One of those for at least one of those firms. According to Nate Raymond, too, had not yet responded to this letter from American Alliance for Equal Rights. But one of those firms backed off and said, no, we're not going to do the fellowships anymore. God, fear. You know, just fear. What it's going to cost. We'll get our name in the paper the wrong way. What's this going to do? And in the end, the legal profession remains the way it is. Okay, well, listen, I'm uh, just about out of time. Um, I um, want to make sure that I do a big thanks to my producer, Patrick, because Patrick's done a great job, as he usually does, and he had to do a little bit of work to get that uh, clip up for you about uh, Allison speaking before his school district. 
Listeners, look, I need your help. Spread the word about this show, will you please? Spread the word about my work. Get me in front of audiences where nearly trans people wouldn't be. And between now and next week, go out and make the world better. Ellie Krug, over and out.